Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. The past few weeks, we've been digging into the Lord's Prayer. Uh, This is a famous, well-known prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples and us today how to pray. So a few of us actually know how to pray. We come to that time of prayer. We're short on words. We, We get nervous. We get sweaty. We don't know what to say. And what we've been learning the last few weeks is Jesus starts his exploration of prayer by saying what not to do. We learned that we do not make a big production of prayer. We're not making a big show of it. We're not waving our hands. We're not repeating words. We're not, our job is not to make everyone look at us, but we're supposed to have our time with our Heavenly Father and focus all of our attention on Him. But back in His days, the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders, would make this huge spectacle of this whole thing because it was all about them. And in this big spectacle, what they would do is they would repeat these words and have these loud, boisterous prayers, and people would say, they're so religious. Oh, they know so much. Look at how religious these guys are. And so Jesus says, I don't want you to do that. What I want you to do is I want you to go home. I want you to close the door. I want you to spend time where no one knows that you're praying. In fact, I want you to be just you and him. This is a special moment for you and him. This is the purpose of your prayer. And then we explored, can we pray in large groups? And the answer is, yes, we can pray in large groups. But when we pray together, it's not to be to make a show or to show people how smart you are. If you've ever been in a prayer circle or prayer group of people, if you've been in the church for a while, you've been that one in that group perhaps when someone's using all these big words and all these showy things. And we don't know the person's heart, so we're not going to judge that person for what they're doing because you can do that and be intimate with your father. But we become intimidated, and so if we're doing it to show off it's wrong, if we're doing it to worship, it's correct. So we learned that it's all about the condition of our heart. So after he tells us what not to do, he then tells us what to do, and we have Matthew 6, 9. We went over this passage. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And believe it or not, out of one sentence, I had a 45-minute sermon. I like to roll. And we learned a lot when we discovered this, right? The word are reminds us that we are part of a larger family and a larger story of what's going on with God, and that God isn't just all about you. It's our, it's a collective unit of people that God loves us. We're part of a larger family. And then we looked at the word father. And now we go from our together, father was a controversial word for Jesus to use during that time, because no other gods would ever be that intimate with its subjects. The fact that God is as Father would have been mind-blowing for these people because Father is an intimacy and a relationship and a care for. So this God that feels really, really, really distant is now by our bedside. When we feel like this God is like super far away and he's so far beyond us, Jesus is saying, hey, our dad our father, our papa, closeness, intimacy. And so Jesus flips the script and says, let's say this, our dad, and then he says, but guess what? He is different from you in heaven. So he is not like just your homeboy. This is a unique, 
beautiful, worshipful, holy God that is your dad, but he reigns over everything, and he is separate from you as human. He is not just like you. He's not a human father. He is one that's separate, and he is holy, but he is your dad. So we have this little bit of, not controversy, but tension. He is close yet far. So our close yet far dad, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a word we use every day in the year 2024. Uh, hallowed is this word, like, what does that really mean? And we discovered this. Hallowed is the, takes the name of God so unbelievably seriously and respectfully. At the same time, anything profane or ungodly can never come from our lips. His name alone is so precious. The most precious of jewels are just to speak the name is such an honor. Like, how can we even say his name? Your name is hallowed. It is perfect. It is holy. And yet we discovered that, man, do we flip the name of God around in really unhealthy ways. We talked about OMG. We just throw it around. It's on stickers now that kids put onto their, onto their phones. Like, OMG is just thrown around like it's no big deal. Instead of the hallowedness, the uniqueness, the holiness, the specialness of his name. So we say our collective daddy, who is far away yet close, your name needs to be lifted above everything else in the entire universe. We honor your name. And so when we begin praying, it's not, hey, God, here's 15 things I need you to do for me today. Unfortunately, we tend to pray like that. We tend to move into a prayer of, hey, God, hey, things good? Thanks. A few things. And we go into our requests. But Jesus says, don't talk about yourself. Because when you go into the mode of talking about yourself, the focus of your prayer life becomes about you, but our prayer life in any relationship is about the other person. Let's just talk about a really good marriage relationship. I do a lot of marital counseling. Let me tell you how to have a really good relationship. Sit down with your spouse, take your spouse out to a fantastic meal, you know, something really fancy, like melting pot, right? Go to the melting pot and sit down and say, Hey, how are you doing? Good. Let me tell you three hours how great I am, what I need from you. I need you to talk more. I need this. I need, I need, I need. And for three hours, don't let your spouse speak. I want you to sit down at the melting pot because it takes three hours at the melting pot. And, and it's delicious, by the way, if you haven't gone. You sit there and then you just talk about yourself and your needs. And when you're done, like, that was a great meal. I love spending time with you. Now, your spouse is going, not going to have such a good time as you've had and your relationship is not growing. In fact, that's all one-sided. But when in a relationship that our dad, who is close yet far, and his name is holy above all names, he wants a relationship by starting with praying is about us. And notice, it's God, hey dad, I just want to worship you. In fact, it starts with all of the outward focus. We haven't even started our requests yet. Because prayer isn't about asking requests, and that's what Jesus is telling us. There's an element to that, and we'll get to that eventually, but it's actually worship of the Lord God. It's an intimacy and relationship that draws us close to our Father, who is distant yet far, is uh, close yet distant. He is above us all. His name is holy. You're like, hey, I want to spend some time with you. And that's where we're entering into our passage for today. We're moving on into the Lord's Prayer. And again, one verse, one sentence, and you're going to notice something right away. It's still not about you. 
Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have not yet asked God to help us find money to pay our taxes. There's, we're not even talking about ourselves. We're starting this time of worship now about his kingdom. And so we're going to ask two big questions here before we dig in. First, what is the kingdom of God? What are we asking for? Your kingdom come. What does that mean? And number two, what is God's will? What is God's will? Most of us have struggled with this thought process, and so we're not going to dive go any further until we dive into this, because when we're praying and asking, and we have this way of praying to our Father, we're asking him for big things, and we're asking for a kingdom to come, but what is his kingdom? So, here we go. If you've read the New Testament at all, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. When I started Bible reading, this was so confusing to me, because it kept saying, like, unless you do this, you do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I'm like, ugh. And so right away, we move to this point of we're thinking eternal, eternal. So if you read the words, the kingdom of heaven, is he saying that I can't be saved? Because if you read it through that lens in the New Testament, you hear Jesus says, call on my name and you will be saved. Yet the same time is that if you sin, you don't inherit the kingdom of heaven. So we transfer, because we have a misunderstanding, we go from salvation to eternity, but that's not what's being said. The kingdom of God is completely different. So I'm going to read a parable here for you in Matthew 13, and we're going to see what the kingdom of God is like to understand what he's saying. Matthew 13, 44 to 45. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and he bought it. Confusing, right? Kingdom of heaven, what is this thing? Kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. Jesus is explaining that the kingdom of God, if you can be in it and find it, is the most precious thing in all of the world. So what is it? So we go to the Greek word. Greek word of kingdom translated is basilia. Basilia. Say it with me. One, two, three. Basilia. You're all speaking Greek. Look how awesome this is. Basilia is the word that we get from the word kingdom, and the word kingdom here is teaching about the power, rule, and reign of God. Power, rule, and reign. Power, rule, and reign. This word here isn't teaching about eternal life. It's talking about the power, rule, and reign of God. Simply stated this, God's ways, his value system, his order, his characteristics, that's what rules on earth. His way, his characteristics, and his rules rule on earth. So why in the world would Jesus ask us to pray for this? I think the best way to think about this is think through the context of our culture. Each family, company, uh, you know, team that you're on, doesn't matter what you do, has a culture. Culture is this thing which is the values of the place in which it, it uh, has, it, it, sorry, it exists within these values, and what exists inside of these values creates the culture. What matters to you? Mosaic has a unique culture. You know, we have a very unique culture. We believe in igniting movement of radical love that transforms the community and the world. We want to make disciples that make disciples. We value radical generosity. There's all these values that we have that make up this feeling when you walk in the room 
oh, this is what, how Mosaic rules. Go to a different church, they all love Jesus, they have their own way of doing things, and they might look very different. Our culture and our values define and build what we believe in. And so let's say this. Let's say you grew up in a family where the dad is fully in control of everything. Okay, so dad's in control. He rules with an iron fist. And this iron fist, he yells a lot. So every time you make a mistake when you're growing up as a kid, dad yells. Okay, so you make a mistake, dad yells. If you spill the milk, you're absolutely just hammered. Like you are just, he's after you, he's screaming, he's yelling, you are grounded. And so guess what's going to happen to that kid as that kid grows up? That child now, coming from that family dynamic, is going to believe and they can't make mistakes. They're afraid to make mistakes. They're afraid of, if I do anything wrong, I'm going to get yelled at. And so then every time they make a mistake, they will flinch. Or if dad walks in the room, they will flinch because they're afraid of the outburst. I get to experience this weekly as I coach my volleyball teams, and um, I can tell the type of coach they had before they have me. This is how I know these things. Now, if, if you don't know volleyball, I'm going to fill you in because I like to talk about it. That's what I do. But this is the thing. It is managed mistakes. It's 25 points in a match, and it's just managed mistakes because there's so many things going on. It's management of mistakes. And so to yell when somebody misses something or to yell when they make a mistake is just silly. Why would I do that? So what I do is I instruct how to do the next time better. But when I get a group of kids and I put them on the court, I can tell you the type of coach they had before because when they make a mistake, the first thing they do is they flip their head to me to see what I'm going to do. They're terrified. And I go, good try. And then they go, I don't know what to do with this. And so it takes me months of changing the culture of this one athlete to say, I'm not going to yell at you for making mistakes. I am asking you to take chances. And so the culture that they were in developed in this athlete a learned response. The culture in which we grew up in, it created in us a learned response. Are we afraid of the outburst? Are we afraid of what a pain that's about to come? And that culture is now how we react and live in our lives. So these little athletes right now, they believe that if they make a mistake, so they're terrified of mistakes, but it's silly because I coach a game of mistakes. And you would understand this if you grew up in a tough home, that flinching or, or maybe you're in an abusive relationship or you're yelled at because you did things wrong, guess what that person now does? The person now is afraid of mistakes, therefore will never admit mistakes. And so everything becomes defensive. I didn't do that. A, a learned response. No, I didn't do that. That was somebody else. They begin lying. They begin covering up any mistakes. And when you confront them or challenge them, their first thing is full defense. They push everything off on everyone else because they know if they admit to the mistake, a negative is going to come. It's a learned response. That is culture. Now back to the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God like? Like, what is God's reign, God's control, God's rule? What does he look like? To know what his kingdom is like, you need to know him. You need to know him. And here's some things we know about him. One, God is love. God is good. God is holy. God is merciful. God is self-sacrificing. God is personal. God is faithful. God is relational. Just a few, right? I just want to put, we could go all day, all the attributes of God. 
But just to get your mind working, here is what God is like. So what do you think the kingdom of God is like? Here we go. It is loving. It values goodness. It values holiness and despises sin. It is merciful. It sacrifices for others. It is personal and everyone is known. It values faithfulness. It values relationships. And it values community. Again, small list. The kingdom of God is God's values brought for both where he is, because that is where he rules in heaven. Where you rule in heaven, we're supposed to pray, will you bring all of your awesomeness to this messed up, jacked up, broken world? Because your reign is so much better than this hot flaming mess that we live in. We live in a world afraid of mistakes, afraid of getting yelled at, We're afraid of being hurt. We're afraid, afraid, afraid. But in God's kingdom, I don't have to be afraid because he's merciful. In God's kingdom, I am loved. In God's kingdom, it is good there. In God's kingdom, that value system is perfect. And so God, bring your way of doing things. Please, please, we don't like it here. Bring your ways of doing things here right now so we can get a taste of what it's like to be with you for eternity. Kingdom of God what we value. Dallas Willard writes this on the teaching of the Lord's Prayer. He says this, the kingdom of God is the range of his effective will. That is, it is the, uh, the, uh, excuse me, the domain where what he prefers is actually what happens. What he prefers happens. The kingdom of God, what God's characteristics are in his kingdom, his rule are his ways. In our world, and here's our tension point, it's not like that. And what we are praying as believers, when we talk to our daddy, who is close yet separate, whose name's above all names, we're saying, hey, could you bring, we want you, your ways here now. Because God's system and your system is so unbelievably perfect and awesome, and we are in this huge mess. What mess are we in right now? We are, in the, we are in the kingdom of humans. The kingdom of humans. I don't need to describe that to you because we live in it. The kingdom of humans is a big dumpster fire. The kingdom of humans is all about the self. Me, me, me. The kingdom of humans values money, greed, lust. The kingdom of human is all about the human condition and the kingdom of humans lives in counter to the kingdom of God. And so you've got the difference of the black and white, darkness and light. I mean, it is so separate, the kingdom of humans versus the kingdom of God. And we live inside the kingdom of humans. And in the Bible, it'll use the word, the world. So when you read the Bible, the world is the kingdom of humans. It's our way. It's our value system. So We have created a value system in our culture, and culture shifts, but we have created a value system that is built around the broken human condition of humans, which is called sin. So our value systems are broken, hurting, depleting, terrible. In God's kingdom, it's perfect. So let's listen to this. Here's 1 John 2.15. Let's talk about the human kingdom of humans known as the world. It says this. Do not love the world or the kingdom of humans or anything in the world or the things that we value as humans. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. 
For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The value system, the culture, the brokenness, the fallenness. Guys, we understand what's going on here. Why is there so many bad things that happen in the world? Because we are in the kingdom of humans. And what we're asking is like, God, can you bring your kingdom, that, that you're one that lasts forever, your eternal kingdom. God, when we get to heaven, we're in your value system. But right now, we're in this messed up place. Can you bring elements of that to us now? Because that is what we were made for. Humans were made to be in the value system of God. We were made and created to be in relationship with him. Sin broke us off from that, and God had to separate himself because of his holiness and our sin. And now two kingdoms are reigning, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of humans. And the kingdom of humans is terrible. We are not doing well. I had the news on this morning in my office. Famous people have always said a pastor should have one hand on the Bible, one hand on the newspaper. That's how old this, this saying is, but we don't have newspaper anymore. We have We've got internet, and I've got TikTok to know what's going on in the world, right? So I have my hand on the Bible and my understanding what's happening in our world. I don't have to say much. You are very aware of it. It is broken. It's getting more broken, and it continues to be broken. The only relief of the brokenness are when the elements of God's kingdom come out, and we say, look, there's still hope for humanity. Look, there's someone who's sacrificial. Look, there's someone who's loving. Look at that person who helps those people. We look for those things, those attributes of God that comes into the world. And guess who it comes through? It's us. As his disciples, as his followers, it is our job, responsibility, and gift to bring the kingdom of God through us to be transformed in his likeness that we can be more like him to bring love into a world that's so broken and hurting. So the kingdom of God, we're saying, God, Bring your ways here. God, let me be a part of that story. So this week, you think about these two kingdoms. Just this week alone, what did you do this week for the kingdom of humans? And what did you do this week for the kingdom of God? The values of God. I was sacrificial. I was merciful. I was, sacri- I was helping others. I was faithful. I was building relationships. I was in community. I loved people who were hard to love. I was trying to do that for the kingdom. Or like, honestly, like, that person made me mad, so I cut them off, and I saluted them the only way I know how. That person made me mad, so I made sure I wrote a scathing email that blew that person's life apart. That person frustrated me. That person, and so we live in the kingdom of humans, and then sometimes we're like, "Eh, I want to touch my toe in the kingdom of God. But the truth is, believer of Jesus Christ, your job and responsibility is to have kingdom values. It's not something that turns on on Sunday and off on Monday. Kingdom values are what disciples are called to. And so we are a part of the catalyst of saying, your kingdom come, it's through us. Not through our power or our ability, but the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives being transformed into his likeness so that we bring that forward and we call that being a disciple. That's our job. Be a disciple. Don't be religious. Be a disciple. Don't just go to church on Sundays. Be a disciple. Like, change people's life because the kingdom of God changes the entire script. And those who live in this kingdom or have been are trying, we're striving, right? We all mess up. I'm not saying that. You know that. But those of us who are living in the kingdom, we know this. I can share with you. 
When I live in kingdom principles, people are blown away and so much good happens. When I live in the kingdom of humans, I, it's death and destruction, and I'm usually blowing things up negatively. When I do things well, kingdom-minded, I bring those values. I go to bed at night without any guilt or shame. When I live in the kingdom of humans, I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry I did that again. Maybe you can relate. Because the two kingdoms are at war with each other all the time. So when you read the Bible... When you see the world and you see the kingdom of heaven, now you know what they're talking about. These two worlds at war for you. When the world wins, love is gone. When the kingdom wins, love is prevalent. And what God is telling us and what we see in Jesus is that when Jesus ends everything in Revelation, only the kingdom of God remains, which means the kingdom of man loses. It is gone. It is over. All of our value systems that we hold now are absolutely worthless. So if you want to invest in your future, all of you like, oh, I got a great 401k. Good for you. I'm happy. Hopefully it gets better because mine's terrible. Your 401k, I'm investing in the future. I'm thinking about my retirement. I'm thinking about the long term. Awesome. Invest in your future because the kingdom of God lasts forever. The kingdom of man does not. Your 401k, great for retirement, and then it doesn't matter. All these things that we're doing for here, Great for now, doesn't matter later, unless it's for the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches us about that. And so the kingdom is so important. If you've not heard this before, embraced it. When you understand this kingdom and you own this, what I'm saying today about the kingdom, it changes the way you wake up in the morning, the way you go to bed at night. Changes what you do with your time. Changes what you think is valuable because your value system shifts to what God has for each and every one of us. God's kingdom, love, mercy, Forgiveness, goodness, man's kingdom, hate, revenge, selfishness, lust for power, and for money. Kingdom values. So we know what Jesus valued, and so we know what God's kingdom is. Then there's this other part that gets a little, what does this mean? God's will. How do we know we should be praying for God's will? Matthew 6.10, back to our passage. Your kingdom come, here's our, our part, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do you know what God's will is? This is a big question. And if you've been in the Christian world quite a bit, you'll hear people say, well, if it's God's will, I will do this. Or I'm praying for God's, if God wills it, then I will take that job. If, God, if it's God's will, I'm going to marry Susan, if it's God's will. How do you know what God's will is? Is it kind of like shaking dice and like, I hope something happens here? Is it that we just keep praying for something over and over again? How do you know the will of God? To understand the will of God in this prayer, we have to go back into what Jesus is saying according to his culture. For Hebrews, and the way that Jesus is teaching, it's really cool here. When you state something parallel to each other, a parallel statement, what you're doing is showing the equality and the sameness of both of them. So when Jesus says this, when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done, these two are meant to be stuck together, that these two are equal, that the kingdom of God and the, and the will of God are the same thing. So what is the will of God? Look at the kingdom of God. The values of God are his will. And so when we look at God's will, we ask the question, okay, should I move to Florida? Should I date this guy? Should I take that job? The answer is, what's your value system? Are you on your knees saying, Father, 
if I take this job in Florida, it's for your glory and for your manifestation of everyone to know how great you are. I, I don't care about the money. I don't care about the power. I don't care about Florida's amazing weather because Wisconsin's been so good this winter. I don't care about any of those things. All I care about is you and your kingdom. And so I'm going to keep asking you, Dad, is this what you want for your kingdom? Not about what I get out of this. It's all about your kingdom. It's about you and your values. And I'm looking at you, God, and I look at this job in Florida, and I start to ask myself questions about Florida. And I'll be honest with you, Dad, the reason I want to go is the weather. So that's not your kingdom. And the reason I want to go is because I get paid more. Well, that's not your kingdom. So I don't know, man. I'm looking at this job now, and I've got this great opportunity, but I get paid less, but I'm reaching so many people. And I've brought seven people to the Lord, and I'm discipling 20 people over here. Like, you have to start asking questions. What is the value of the kingdom? Now, you can take any scenario and look at the characteristics of God, and there'll be times like, man, geez, oof. There's things that are just gray, Jason. Like, I don't know. Well, then you pray and you say, Lord, lead me. The will of God is not this mysterious thing we can't understand because he's shown himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Live like Jesus. Does a move bring you to a new place for Jesus? Is dating that person all about Jesus? But here's our tension point and why this is such a hard struggle is we take the, the kingdom of human plus the kingdom of God, and we like to put those two together and say, oh, I get paid more, and maybe I could tell something about Jesus. It's all about the kingdom. And I'm not saying this is an easy thing. There's a tension there because we are human. We are selfish. We do have wrong motives. But the will of God, as according to how Jesus had taught this, your kingdom come and your will be done, his will is that his kingdom comes to earth because that's what lasts forever. So back to those very simple words I said before. Is it loving? Does it value goodness? Does it value holiness and despise sin? Is it merciful? Does it sacrifice for others? Is it personal and everyone is known? Does it value faithfulness? Does it value relationships and community? That's just a small list of God's attributes and characteristics. And the more you know about him, the more you learn about him, the more you embrace your dad, the more you're going to know what the will of God is. Because the will of God's always open-handed, I'll do whatever you want. Simply say, I'll do whatever you want. This is what I know about the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. I was 16 years old at Hiawatha Youth Camp in the UP of Michigan. And there's a really hot girl sitting behind me. I was really focused on her the whole time. And the speaker was speaking. I'm like, oh, man, i got to ask this girl out. I was, you know, six-year-old boy. Sorry. And I was, I was just so focused here. And then the guy started talking. My focus went from the girl up to the speaker because he was saying things I've never heard anybody say before. And he was talking. He's like, if you think following Jesus is about coming to a camp and it's easy, you're completely wrong. In fact, Jesus says discipleship means you give up your entire life and you follow him. You can't hang on to anything. You've got to be willing to throw in all your chips to follow Jesus. And I'm like, well, this is not a great teenage conversation, right? I'm 16 years old. I have my whole life in front of me. I'm 16. I'm never going to die, right? That's why I jump off of bridges and do dumb things as a boy. I'm 16. And this guy up there on the stage had the audacity to say to a group of high school students, I'm going to challenge you to say the scariest prayer you're ever going to say in your life. I challenge all of you, but do not say it if you do not mean it. If you don't mean it, don't you dare utter these words. This isn't some raise your hand and come forward moment. I'm asking you to enlist in something from now to the day that you die. Oh, geez. 
can't you get like a speaker that, you know, like does magic tricks or something? Like, wow, this is intense. And I'm listening to this guy, and he says, I, here's your scariest prayer. God, I give you my entire life, amen. And I sat there, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Kingdom of God, kingdom of man. Like, I want to love you, God, but can I just do what I want sometimes? Because I really want to be rich. I want to have a lot of money. I want to be like those guys who have like cool cars and like big yachts and like, I want to be famous, and I want this. I'm 16, right? And I was sitting there, and he starts talking through it, and the Spirit of God is just pressing my heart to say, I think I'm supposed to say this prayer. And I'm sitting here in this room, and I said that prayer, terrified, and I'm here today because of it. On that day, I did something I didn't quite understand, Fully, but as he spoke, I'm like, it's making sense. Are you willing to give your whole life for the cause, or are you playing a game? And I said, God, I give you my entire life. Amen. They said, okay, raise your hand if you pray. I looked around. There weren't many, a few of us. And that day was the true day that I said I gave everything in for Christ. The whole enchilada went in. And I said, if I'm going to live this life, I'm going to make it matter for the kingdom. And it has been one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And that man was not lying. True discipleship costs you everything. And I would not give up anything that I've gone through. Because it is good, it's for the kingdom, and it's not about me. Now, do I have moments? Do we all have moments? Yes. But what I'm saying to you right now is that you are just like me. You're no different than me. We're both humans. We both have the same wants, needs, desires. When I was a kid, I'd see a guy on the stage like, man, that guy is so spiritual. All I am is a knucklehead who says, Jesus, I want to give you my whole life. Amen. That's it. See what God does with a prayer like that, that simple prayer of being willing to push all your chips in because you just get done with the kingdom of earth and you desire the kingdom of God because in the kingdom of God, it is so fulfilling, it is so wonderful. I wish I could tell you that I've nailed it. Of course, I've made a huge mess of it. But since the age of 16, and now at the age of horny hoon, <laughs> I've been on this journey a long time, and I wouldn't give it up for anything because I am trying and striving and living for his kingdom. Because we learned in this prayer, Jesus starts us praying, it's not about you. Prayer isn't about you. It's about him. Our prayer life should be about worshiping him. And now after we've got another sentence, it's all about his kingdom. And that's why we, when we pray and we start to understand, we're learning that his will is equal with his kingdom. And it's hard because we live here. And what he, we are praying for is, God, bring everything that you're doing up there down here. And would you take, make that happen through me? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to pray a scary prayer like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven through you? Because maybe our faith journey for your journey was like, whoa, this is intense. I haven't heard anything like this before. I just thought this was about being a good person and doing good things and helping people and not being, if there's a scale, I'm not in the bottom half of the scale because those bad people go to hell. The top half of the scale go to heaven that there is no scale, friends. There is those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and those who have not. 
This prayer isn't about salvation. This prayer is about having purpose for your life, and your purpose is not about you. It's for his kingdom. And so this type of prayer changes a faith journey from I'm being kind of religious and kind of doing something to all of a sudden I am going into God's army to change the world of love. When I coach and I'm on the floor, I love the game and I'm super over competitive. If you watch me on my social media, you see I'm super over competitive. But we'll take this aside for a second. I do it for the kingdom. I do it for each kid, each parent, for my community. I do it for relationships. I do it to manifest what God looks like. I do it knowing that I'm on mission all of the time. I'm modeling for you as a church family what it means to be in the community uniquely made to live on mission. And I love it. But the reason I'm doing it, because the pay is not good, is for the kingdom. It's not about that. It's about the kingdom. about God's kingdom come. And if I am sitting in a building all the time, and if you are sitting in a building, how are people supposed to see what God's kingdom looks like if we're not manifesting it? If we are not loving, if we are not the ones showing what Jesus did, because now Jesus is the perfect example. He showed us his kingdom was Jesus Christ. That's the whole beauty of this. How do I know how to live? Do what Jesus did. Love unlovable. Hang out with people nobody likes. Help people. Serve people. Teach people the word of God. This is the beauty. Jesus did it for us. He modeled it as a human, both God and human, and now we just do what he did. So when people ask me, why do you coach volleyball? I say, because I believe if Jesus was a volleyball coach, he would do it like I'm doing it, because I'm trying to follow him. And most people say, huh? (laughs) I just, I want to do that. I want to build relationships and love, and my job is to bring the kingdom here. And so God, bring your kingdom, but let's stop asking someone else to do it. It's your job if you're willing. And so we're going to end our time. We're going to end our time, and I'm going to offer you the scariest prayer ever offered. Do not pray this prayer if you do not mean it. Do not. Only if you mean it are you willing to go all in to be a a person who is saying, I'm giving my whole life for this cause. And if you're not there yet, that's okay. There's no guilt or shame here. Like I said, I was in a room, and there's like a few of us. I'm just asking this question. Is God calling you for something more inside of your spiritual life than where you are right now? Are you willing to lay down the kingdom of human for the kingdom of God? Simple prayer. Let's pray together. Only if you mean this, my friends, my family. If it's not today, remember this prayer as God's spirit works on you. God, I give you my entire life. Amen. Friends, there's no powerful prayer. You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and now there's a moment in time in which you say, I'm ready to make him my actual Lord. What's what's the purpose of life? For those who prayed it, you just prayed it. God's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. 
for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.